0: This is Podco Media Networks.
1: Hello and welcome to the Peace Love Plants podcast. I'm your host, Marco Knox, a.k.a. the Phytogenic Chef. This week's guest is David Leon. David is the Executive Director of Farmers Footprint, a coalition of farmers, educators, doctors, scientists, and business leaders aiming to expose the human and environmental impacts of chemical farming, while offering a path forward through regenerative agriculture practices. They do this by way of short films that feature farmers throughout the United States. In this episode, we discuss how he teamed up with Dr. Zach Bush to expose the plight of farmers while raising the bar and providing a path for consumers, corporations, and governments to participate in a healthier future for our children and planet. David is a brilliant human being doing amazing work. So without any further delay, let's meet David Leon and learn about his work through Farmer's Footprint. David Leon, welcome to the Peace Love Plants podcast, my friend. How is life?
0: Life is good, Marco. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Not a problem. I'm really glad to hear life is good. Living the dream, as they say, right?
0: That's right. That's right. Doing purpose-driven work and traveling around the country, meeting the people that produce our food and the systems that sort of flow out from that. It's been a journey, and I'm loving every minute.
1: No doubt. And we're going to dive into a lot of that. And my listeners heard my introduction, so they're going to understand a little bit about what you do and your mission. But there's much more to you and your work. So let's dive right into this, because you're a fascinating individual that is doing really wonderful things to serve humanity. And before we get too involved with your work at Farmer's Footprint, I want to set the stage and learn a little more about you as a person. I saw that you were recently married. Congratulations on that, brother.
0: Thank you very much. Yeah, I've been floating about six inches above the ground ever since. It's been a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's fascinating. That's good to hear. I like to hear that. Also, during my research, I noticed that you have traveled extensively, like you just touched on. It looked like even some global travel and that you're a yogi. That's amazing to me. And, And Can you explain to the listeners how that impacts your current mission, how that's evolved and kind of come full forward into this?
0: Sure. Yeah. You know, I'm a big believer in place and the effect that that has on people. And, you know, I, I moved here to Encinitas, North County, San Diego, about 10 years ago, born and raised in California, but I never lived specifically here. And this is a very special place. It's probably got the highest number of yoga studios per capita of any place on the planet and so it's just sort of inevitable that I fell into that and you know it's really led the way that I live my life my wife is a yoga teacher herself and you know it's sort of pervades everything the philosophy and the way that we interact with our world and with our community so yeah it's I'm not too out front about it but it's something that I'm very grateful to have is that practice so and that served me well around the world as well traveling for surfing or yoga, those activities kind of have guided that journey and have led to some really rich experiences.
1: That's beautiful. I love it. Very grounded spiritually. I like to hear that. So let's go back in time a little bit and talk about your background, specifically outside of yoga and your travel. Help me Mm -hmm. understand what, what other events in your life may have helped shape your mission to this point. There has to be some other catalysts, I imagine.
0: You know, I think it's mostly been around following your interests and passions. You know, I, I never really was interested in going into work for a big company or corporation. I just, you know, I kind of wanted to blaze my own path. And that's, that's a, again, a big part of the lifestyle and community here where I live. It's a big action sports community. There's a whole lot of really successful, interesting people that have oriented their life around living and not working. They do work, obviously, and they're very successful, but they've done it in such a way that prioritizes life and experiences. And I took a lot of inspiration from that as I, you know, went into my entrepreneurial endeavors. I had a yoga app before this. I did action sports brand management. I had a soap company randomly that that we bought off Craigslist and sold into, you know, Walmart about a year later nationally. And so just working on interesting problems and sort of seeing opportunities and saying to myself, you know, that might be pretty cool. Let's go do that. And, you know, coming off of that at the end of 2018, I was, I had exited out of the companies that I was working on and I was kind of looking for what was next. And a friend of mine um, named Zach Bush, who you might know, reached out and we went and had lunch a couple times and he was kind of checking in on what my plans were and, and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I shot this film last year and, you know, we're thinking that there's something to this. There's something pretty big here, a big idea. And, you know, would you like to help me go and build this? And I was a friend of Zach's. I actually knew his wife through the yoga circles. And uh, before she had met him and I didn't know anything about Zach Bush. I, other than he was a really smart, engaging dude. I like, you know, going over and having a glass of wine with him and talking philosophy and life. And, but I had really no concept of this, like sort of celebrity that is this public facing amazing communicator. Um, just a friend uh, and a neighbor. He lived. He lived down the street from me, and you know that started started to change as I was brought into his world. And you know he shared this idea, of farmer's footprint, and he shared the initial vision of the film. And to me, that it was like the next day. I called him and I said, "I'm in." Like this is this feels like the switch. Not just an interesting problem, but a critical problem. So this is not just can we sell more x y or z can we bring buy something cheap and go sell it to you for a profit i was brand new to nonprofit. i was brand new to agriculture i was devoted gardener and interested in health and wellness but i am not a farmer and i'm pretty clear about that in in all my conversations with farmers but it immediately resonated with me and so i signed up and said let's launch this film and see where this thing goes
1: that's beautiful. So he was your neighbor. I had no idea. I figured you guys were tied in somehow in other circles. But that's man. That just goes to show that you know anything can happen at any time, and always be open to opportunities.
0: Oh, that's right. And and I'll just say, I mean, credit really there to to his wife Jen, who's just an absolutely amazing human being as you can imagine, and she is. She is a powerful connector and sort of vortex of connectivity in her own right. And so you can only imagine when she gets together with Zach, there's just a lot of magic that flows. And she was the one, if I recall correctly, that she encouraged him to reach out to me And yeah, just friends coming together and and deciding to start building something. And that's really how this whole thing has worked. We are the whole staff, everyone who's come aboard. We're just friends who were initiated by this important work and mission. And it's just been a blast. It's such a fun work environment to work that way.
1: That's beautiful. I love hearing that. So let's transition into your current work. Obviously, I first learned about you and Farmer's Footprint through Zach Bush, as he's, as you mentioned, the celebrity figure that's out there and and talking, and he's very engaging. He grabs you. It's, gosh, I listened to something again this morning just to refresh my mind on your mission, and it's emotional when he speaks. I mean, it really pulls you in. So let's talk about this a little bit, and let's talk specifically about regenerative agriculture and biodiversity. Now, a lot of my listeners might not know what that means. Can you help kind of explain what each of those means?
0: Yeah, well, so it's an interesting thing because we're used to seeing sort of the organic seal on things and that sort of anchors us into some sort of understanding of a quality of the food or a definition of how it might be produced. And regenerative agriculture... You know, it's new to the food scene and to like the general public, but it really speaks to a very traditional way of farming before this sort of conventional chemical agriculture paradigm that we find ourselves in. This is very much in line with the way that indigenous or native peoples would farm. And it's in line with, you know, the way a lot of farmers were working before we had access to synthetic inputs and chemical herbicides and pesticides. So in one sense, it's old. In the other sense, this represents a very radical and new shift for the way that we produce our food today. And the way that I like to describe regenerative agriculture is really a focus on soil health. So it's not so much let's focus on plant health and growing the big, crazy you know, beautiful plants with amazing this or that. We know how to do that. We can sustain that with synthetic fertilizers. You can grow a really green, verdant, beautiful plant. Now, what soil health brings into the picture is this idea of a diverse microbiome. And this is the the flora, fauna, the fungi living within the soil that is actually creating millions of complex interactions with the nutrients, with the water, with the air that is happening in the soil. And those have a very close relationship with the plants themselves, the roots of the plants. And, you know, what Zach sort of brought into this picture of regenerative agriculture is that the microbiome in the soil is also quite intrinsically connected with our microbiome as human beings. And so if you've listened to Zach, he speaks quite eloquently on, you know, the way that the microbiome is influencing so many of the natural processes in the world. And so regenerative agriculture is quite simply a acknowledgement that there is untold number of amazing things happening below our feet in the soil, you know, carbon sequestration. This is the natural way that the earth has designed the carbon cycle and for carbon to be captured out of the air and put back into the soil that carbon is then used by the microbes to live and produce the nutrients that eventually feed the plant and then that plant is going back in and feeding us and feeding our microbiome and so this is a constant interaction that's happening it's incredibly complex science you know and medicine hasn't fully caught up with all of that but at its basic form can we shift the focus from just growing healthy plants to focusing on cultivating healthy soil. And we're actually sort of asking farmers in a, in a tangential way, can you be farmers of the microbiome and not farmers of the particular plant that you're growing? Because then the species actually becomes less important, whether you're growing corn or soybean or cucumbers. What we really want to focus on is this foundation of a really, really healthy soil. You mentioned biodynamic and those sort of permaculture ideas. This also has to do with the incredible diversity of nature. And so coming back to farming in with a diverse species of cover crop over the field, thinking about harboring diversity in the microbiome. All of these are cornerstones of the way nature works. Nature works best when there is diversity. And so whatever farming method out there, I don't want people to get caught up too much in the semantics because we have all these. We have permaculture and agroforestry and biodynamic farming. They're all really important. They all sit on a spectrum of farming that ultimately is hearkening back to Eating the soil microbiome. And the one takeaway that I'd like you know your audience to come away from this is the incredible power of diversity and the way that nature operates is dependent on incredible diversity. And that's really what we're talking about here. We're trying to move farmers away from a monoculture mindset, this idea that we're going to you know grow one crop or maybe rotate it within three different crops a year and go to can we get, 16 or 32 species of what are called cover crops, which is basically just field cover. Can we get diversity back into the soil that mimics the way that, you know, the natural grasslands had a lot of species of grass there? And that diversity is what is also feeding the diversity in the soil.
1: Yeah, you bring up a lot of great points and it begs the question... How many challenges are these farmers facing as a result of poor soil health? And the big one, and most people have heard about this, and I'd love to hear your take on it, is the glyphosate. I -hmm. mean, and it's impacting the globe, not just here locally. I don't think people truly understand, and maybe they do now, just Mm -hmm. how far reaching it is.
0: Yeah. It's one of the most ubiquitous chemicals that we are in contact with as a human species. And... The original focus for the Farmer's Footprint film actually was born out of Zach's interest in what glyphosate was doing to the microbiome. And so, you know, as you'll see in the film, we talk about glyphosate being this water-soluble antibiotic. It is actually patented as an antibiotic. And antibiotics are, by definition, destroying microbes. I mean, that is what they are attacking. So the original idea for the film was Zach wanted to measure glyphosate levels as they were moving through the Mississippi River system because we had an understanding, at least on a conceptual level, that there was a ton of pesticides and herbicides being used throughout the country, but specifically when you look at all the use in the mid-northwest and then moving, those are all running off fields and going into the river systems and the tributaries of the Mississippi and channeling straight down to the Gulf. And Zach was going, well, wait a minute, you have Cancer Alley sitting right there in the Southeast. You have a massive dead zone off the Gulf of Mexico. Why do we think that's actually happening? And what is actually collecting and funneling all of this you know, poison down into those systems? And so the film changed a little bit when we started meeting the farmers. And you know, Grand Don, who we feature in the film, specifically, you know, these were farmers who were on the vanguard of a very radical transition with an understanding maybe maybe not an explicit one, but an implicit understanding that something was not right here and yeah. and that this was not the way we shouldn't be suiting up in chemical suits, and we shouldn't be seeing you know, earthworms disappear out of the ground. We shouldn't be seeing wildlife disappear away from the farm. We had this idea for the last couple decades that a farm should be this like very controlled, sterile, Place where, you know, anything that wasn't supposed to be there should not be there, and we're going to kill it with these pesticides. And the return to regenerative agriculture is actually a welcoming sort of inclusiveness for all the diversity and interactions that nature provides. And it doesn't look like the farms that we sort of know today if you drive through the Central Valley of California or through much of the Midwest, where, you know, outside of season, you're going to see. Just bare dirt for as far as the eye can see, because they are plowing and cleaning those fields. And even when the crop is in the ground, seeing, you know, bare clean rows in between in between the orchard trees or in between the rows. And that's not how nature was designed. Like, nature abhors a vacuum. You don't want to have big empty spaces in nature. That's a place where life is not thriving. And so, what we're really trying to do here is can we reconcile the real production needs of modern agriculture? with this idea that we need to keep the ground covered we need to understand why weeds are coming up and not just killing them indiscriminately we need to get back in alignment with the diversity of nature that's really what this conversation is about with regenerative agriculture
1: i lived in california for a little while and you're right you drive through that central valley everything's perfect nice neat rows and like you said when they're not growing they're empty but still manicured and as you touched on that's not how nature works and mm-hmm. What we need to be focusing on is that top layer you mentioned and no-till farming. Mm-hmm. And that's really a big initiative that I hear in a lot of these farmers' testimonies. They know, and they've known this whole time, that this isn't how it's supposed to be, but they were handcuffed, so to speak, right? I mean, they couldn't do anything. They were paying to the man, and they kind of had to do as they were told, because these landowners wanted to see perfect rows, because that's in their mind, perfect farming. But in fact, it's not. It couldn't be more. Opposite well, it is.
0: That's right. Well, it's important to note that this is what farmers are being taught. I mean, yeah. their kids going to these amazing agricultural programs around the country and they're being taught that, you know, these chemicals are safe if you use them this way. This is how you need to till your field, you need to you don't need this stuff. They were taught this specific way. And similarly, this is coming across multi-generational now. So You know, when NPK fertilizers came into the picture, you know, middle of last century, these were hearkened as world saving, like we are going to feed the world because we have now synthetic nitrogen. And this sort of began a slow demise and a reliance on small molecule chemistry to do the work that, you know, for millions of years before the microbes in the soil were doing for us. And guess what? you don't have to pay for those. Like if you just think about feeding the microbes, they're going to give you all the nutrients that you need for the most amazing plants that you can imagine. But we've got into this, you know, cycle, this coexistence between pharmaceutical companies and big ag and big food where they were sort of perpetuating this myth, I would say, that we cannot feed the world without these synthetic chemicals. And, you know, (laughs) That really hasn't come to fruition. Like 70% of the world is still fed by a peasant farmer on under two acres, 70%. And so, you know, right now what we have is the majority of, as your listeners will probably know, a majority of what we're growing in the U.S. today is actually going to feed livestock. And so, you know, we're not necessarily even feeding people anymore with this amazing output that we've created where it's going in to feed animals. And so, you know, there's definitely some issues with the current system. And that's why it's such a challenging, I mean, what I want to underscore is that the farmer, you know, the farmer is not at fault here you know this is what they were taught this is they're taking their ideas from what they learned in school at these very prestigious agricultural schools or what was now passed down over a couple generations you know and now we're sort of asking them hey go back to the way that your great grandfather and grandmother used to farm because they actually had it figured out they were actually doing things in a pretty cool way And it's going to save you a lot of money. It's going to provide a lot of benefits for your field. You're going to have better water retention. You're going to have healthier soil. You're going to be producing better, higher quality produce. And guess what? We don't talk to farmers as much about global warming, but you're going to be capturing a whole lot of carbon in this process too, because you're realigning with the way that nature was originally designed to capture carbon out of the air. So, you know, we... People don't think of farmers as sort of innovators, but I like to tell this story of soil as technology. Like These carbon capture ideas from you know the technology class are saying it's going to be this box. It's going to be a gizmo that's going to take carbon out of the air. Yeah, we could do that, but guess what? We have 900 million acres of soil that is like Earth's most perfect technology for doing this. It has been doing it since the beginning of time. And so why not take advantage of that? Why not take advantage of this amazing technology that's right under our feet?
1: No doubt. And these farmers are stewards of the land. I mean, and mm-hmm. they know it in their heart of hearts. They know it. That's right. And they don't want to be out there spraying these chemicals, putting on these full suits and, and doing what they know is wrong. And moreover, as you touched on, they're getting better produce, they're helping the land, and they're getting better yields which is Mm -hmm. ultimately what they're trying to gain anyhow. So what you guys are doing is, it's amazing. It's work that needs to be spread and it needs to be spread all over this world. Mm -hmm. And I know that you guys are getting there because I found your message and it wasn't even an area that I was even focused on and it came to me. So kudos to you guys for getting it out there. This work is super important. So we touched on the no-till farming. We touched on the glyphosate. Let's talk about how people can get involved with your mission because I see that you have a, what is it, a, a screening toolkit? That people can get involved and help you. How does uh, that work?
0: Yeah. So, you know, a big part of our work that we realized was sort of missing from this whole regenerative movement was not that there was a great amount of work being done on the ground, there's amazing nonprofits, there's for-profit companies out there, there's community organizers and farmers who are out in their specific regions pushing this message slowly but surely through the community. And, you know, that infrastructure exists. There's amazing education opportunities. There's emerging sort of financing options to help farmers through these transitions. And so, you know, when we launched the film and started to understand this power of the story That piece was sort of missing for a lot of those folks. Like we were getting inbound inquiries from our colleagues in the nonprofit space going, you know, we're doing this work. It's working really well. No one knows about it. Like we're not very good at telling our story. Can you help us tell our story? Because they were able to see the resonance that we were able to create with, you know, just a short 20 minute film. It's certainly a testament to Zach's own power of communication to be able to, for a doctor, to step across the line and start to talk about soil health. That's sort of a radical concept because they barely even touch on nutrition in most medical schools. So for a doctor to sort of take that leap, we really credit that as an inflection point in the way that people were starting to interact with agriculture. That started to turn on the light bulb for people where if we were talking about soil health or soil science, if you don't understand agriculture, you're not near agriculture, that might not mean anything to you. Sure, you can still like food and appreciate where it's coming from or that it's, you know, whether it's meat and it's humanely raised or pasture raised, or if it's vegetables, if it's organic or what have you. It doesn't land until you realize that this is affecting your health as a human being and it's affecting the health of your kids. And so you know, everyone has a degree of separation from someone who has cancer. And we're seeing that cancer epidemic sort of or a chronic disease epidemic more widely has increased in an interesting sort of correlative way with the use of these chemicals. So we're producing less nutrient dense food, we're producing a lot more of it. And so, you know, again, it's kind of like, Here's the beautiful plant. We have great yields. This is working. But if those plants are actually deprived of all the complex interactions that the microbiome is. Infusing into that plant. You don't have the food as medicine piece anymore. It's not yeah. producing those chemicals or those compounds that are literally medicines. And, you know, funny enough, a lot of those alkaloids and phenols and everything are used and synthesized for cancer drugs. And yeah. that was a big part of Zach's connection as well, working as a cancer therapy researcher. He's like, you know, <laughs> we're making something that was made naturally. We just don't have it anymore because we're not growing our food the right way. So I got on a bit of tangent away from the, the screening love toolkit it. there. But I, love but I just want to... So the important piece here is we are a storytelling organization. We felt like the first step in this is we need to make sure that as many people connect and understand this message as possible. How do we connect you know, the folks here in coastal California with farmers in the Midwest? How do we start to hold those dialogues and discussions together so that people understand the value that farmers are actually bringing to society? And it's just been lost over the years. And so we're doing that. Through storytelling, and people really respond. They understand and they empathize if you can put another human being in front of them and say, you know, we care. We have a lot of pride in the way that we produce the food that you guys are all eating. And, you know, we like to do right by everyone who's consuming our products. And so that storytelling piece has become central. And the screening toolkit is like, you know, we didn't want to sell this film. We put it up for free. And anyone who wants to hold a screening and a discussion, that's available for everyone. And so the film has been screened by community, by and for community members all over the world at this point, we don't make a single dime off of that. It's simply there to be used as a tool to spur this dialogue and to put the farmer's faces and their story in front of people. And that's what we're doing on our social media. And we have just a ton more stories coming up that are going to explore all the various facets that we think are going to be really impactful to people who are just coming to this message at first. It's not just about educating people about regenerative agriculture. It's You know, can we show people the connection between health and agriculture? So let's put doctors and farmers together. And let's make sure a doctor is telling a farmer, the work that you're doing, is saving my patients' lives. If you're farming the right way, we can have amazing health outcomes for the patients that I'm treating. And similarly, you know, women are an incredible, have an incredible role to play to this. Most farmers that I talk to, and this is actually inclusive of other folks, you know, ancillary folks in the finance world, they come to this because their wives initially are the ones who have told them, hey, you know, How are you farming? What's going on? Are you aware of these issues? And even in the middle of, you know, Illinois, uh, on a conventional corn, wheat, soybean type farm, the wife always has an organic garden. She's not using those chemicals on her home garden that she's feeding to her family. That's telling. That tells you a lot. And and it's also this, again, it's embracing a bit of the feminine archetype of collaboration and harmonizing with nature instead of just the goal of, you know, more yield. And this is how we're going to solve it. That's starting to change. And women and children, they are leading this charge towards a regenerative future. It's amazing to see. You couple that With the fact that women own or manage over a third of the farmland in the U.S., they're not just a powerful advocate. They are literally powerful in their own right in terms of what they're controlling. And they're starting to bring those conversations to their farm managers, to their husbands and brothers and families. And they're an amazing catalyst for change in this whole movement. So we're going to be telling a lot of stories about women in this movement as well.
1: I love that. And the screening toolkit is an amazing asset and it allows people to get out there and, and spread the message even more. Mm. But it really sounds like you guys together are, and you touched on it, you're bridging the gap from farmers to doctors. And even the consumers, and that's really important. I mean, it's a three-pronged approach, really, because right. it's, it tells it all. Everyone's involved now. It's not just, oh, the farmer's over there. It's like, no, the farmers are with us. The doctors are with us. And we are part of this cycle as well. And that's a beautiful thing. And it has to be such a sense of pride and almost heroism on your guys' part to feel like, you know, we're bringing this message to the surface. This message that so desperately needs to be told.
0: Oh, it's I mean it's it's humility more than anything. We we yeah. <laughs> we put a movie on the internet <laughs> and just didn't know really what was gonna happen. And the outpouring of support, interest, and resonance in this issue just kind of blew us all away. And yeah. so we sort of carry on out of service to all the folks who've been working in this space for, for the past couple of decades. We have really close relationships with you know, groups like Rodale Institute that sort of brought the organic certification into being. Well, J.R. Rodale started the Rodale Institute and this idea of organic gardening 70 years ago. And he's been talking about soil health equals plant health equals human health at the start, you know, decades ago. And so this has been out there. So we're not, we're definitely don't want to take any credit for even laying the groundwork we simply want to be a catalyzer. We want to scale the things that are there. And so I've brought sort of my background as an entrepreneur and building early stage companies. My team is not a typical nonprofit team. They are, you know, ex-brand managers and digital advertising specialists and designers. Like we want to build a world-class marketing group for the regenerative movement because that messaging has often been outsourced to the big food companies that have the resources to tell it you know but we're sort of asking ourselves the question like what if the regenerative movement had a super bowl commercial what does that look like like what if we could set the agenda as a collective of nonprofits whether you're working in the scientific research space whether you're farm technical services, whether you're doing education for farmers, you know, that's not all captured in a Super Bowl commercial by Anheuser-Busch, for instance. And I don't want to downplay, they are doing great things. General Mills and Danone, these big companies have really jumped on to this. But, you know, we think it's really important for the story to come from within the collective as well and we need to make sure that the organizations in your own backyards at the community level are also, you know, garnering your support and you're aware of the work that you're doing. So we just we quite simply want to be a force for connectivity between these groups. We can be at top of the funnel where people whether they're farmers, whether they're business people, food brands or just everyday moms, if they want to come into this issue and figure out what it is that they need. We want to connect them with the resources that make the most sense for them. And so, you know, you talked about a multiple pronged approach. Another one of our programs that we brought on board is a group called Non-Toxic Neighborhoods. There's, you know, the founder, her name is Kim Conti. She lives in Irvine, California, and her kids played a lot of sports. And she was seeing glyphosate and Roundup being sprayed all over the sports fields and at the city landscaping and at the schools. And she knew it was wrong. And so she created a whole platform and community support mechanism to actually get glyphosate banned, or the integrated pest management policies, reformed. And now she's touched over 64 cities, big cities, Austin, San Diego, Miami. She's working on New York, Philadelphia. So we are going to expand that program. That's our way of engaging with folks at the suburban and urban communities about the very same issues we're talking to farmers about. So that's just an example of where we can start to bridge gaps. Glyphosate is all over Home Depot. People are spraying it on their lawns. Guess what? Lawns are the third largest crop by acreage in the United States. There's 40 million acres of lawn in the United States and they are sprayed I think the number is like 10 times more heavily with these chemicals than a typical agricultural piece of land. So, you know, there's a lot of education and change that can come. It doesn't have to start on the farm. It could start at your HOA, your city, your own backyard. And so those are the sorts of connections that we're really trying to make here. Make sure people understand there's a lot that they can do just in their own community that is going to show solidarity with the message that we're bringing to farmers.
1: I'm really glad you brought that up, the non-toxic neighborhoods, because that is some pushback. Even when I've recently been talking about this movement, people that live in urban areas or concrete jungles, if you will, they're, they are kind of shrug it off like, ah, that doesn't apply to me. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. it does. It really mm-hmm. does apply to you, even more so in some respects. And here's how you can get involved. So that's really cool. would you say her name was, Kim? Her name is Kim Conti. Uh, I got to connect with her. That sounds like a fascinating Story to help bridge all this together, get all you guys on this
0: show. She's fantastic. And we brought her on as an actual program offering a farmer's footprint. So she's in the org. We're working on, you know, expanding her reach and her capacity. It's absolutely incredible the resonance around that issue. And we do it in a non activist way. We don't consider ourselves an activist organization. She created, similar to the screening toolkit, we have a playbook that will empower citizens to go and follow her same sequence of events with, you know, letter templates and talking points. But we ask people to go to city staff first. Before you ever step into a city council meeting, you're talking to city staff and you're not saying, hey, you know, make this change. I don't care what the cost. It's, hey, here's the alternatives. These are the organic products that you can be using instead. And that's been a really successful technique. The city staff are fully aware and informed with all the proper alternatives before you even have to put it in front of a city council meeting. And by that point, you know, we have their support and it makes it really easy for the policymakers to get behind it. So I'd say that's a really important ethos too for farmers' footprint in general. You know, I started this and I told Zach, like, I'm an avowed capitalist. I think this is the way that the world works. We need to be real about that. We need to understand the financial implications of what's going to cause change in this problem. I don't want to be out on the corner collecting signatures for this. That's an important piece of the nonprofit world as well. And activism is absolutely important. But our ethos, we want to be as inclusive and broad as possible. We tell stories about farmers who reduce glyphosate 5% on 5% of their acreage. I will tell that story because that's meeting a farmer where they're at. That's them dipping a toe in and we need to show that we support that. So it's progress over purity is like my mantra every day I come in and I go, 5% reduction in glyphosate is wholly inadequate in the grand scheme of things. But that's your first step. And when you see the results that happen on those 5% of your acreage, we want you to go to 10% the next year and 30% the next year. And we want you to just keep seeing and feel supported through that entire journey because it's a tough one for farmers. And it's the same with cities. Those are, you know, these groups are ingrained in the way of doing things. And we just have to, we need to show support we need to apply pressure when needed, but it doesn't have to be through pure activism. It could be in a very face-to-face, authentic, and truthful way.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like you're really building relationships throughout this whole movement. Mm -hmm. And I suspect that's really why this is resonating with so many people, myself included, is you touched on it. It's not an in-your-face activism. Mm -hmm. And truth, we all feel it. We all know it. And when it's spoken, it resonates. It sits. And you guys are speaking truth and you're storytelling and you don't have to convince anybody. It's just there and everyone Mm -hmm. feels it. So anyone that listens to you speak or Dr. Zach Bush speak, It's truth and it's pure and everyone is comprehending it and taking it in. And I love the mission. I really do, David. I wish there was ways that I can get more involved other than a podcast. I'm going to seek and find some ways to see if I can contribute and we can talk off air about that. But yeah, I I think it's truly amazing what you guys are doing.
0: Right back at you, Marco. We we really appreciate the platform to share this with your audience. And, you know, I'd be remiss not to give the shameless plug. You can go to farmersfootprint.us. There is the film is there available for you to see. You can reach out to us if you have any other ideas on ways to get involved. We have a growing supporter action network of passionate volunteers that are you know, they're contributing in all sorts of different ways. They're amazing skill sets, whether it's technical or helping us with, you know, Excel spreadsheets all the way to, you know, hey, I have an idea for bringing more regenerative practices into my community. We're all ears and we want to be a megaphone for you guys, because this movement is going to have to come from all of us. And it's going to be richer for accepting all of our gifts that we want to provide to it. So very grateful to you and and your entire audience for being engaged in this work.
1: I appreciate that. And I'll make sure I include all that in my show notes for everybody. Mm-hmm. And before we land this thing, is there anything that I didn't touch on that you'd like to leave with the audience? Or did we cover a lot of what your message is about? I feel oh. like we did, but there's a, there could always be more. So feel free.
0: Oh, there's so much more. Um, I know we could spend uh, all day on we this. We could spend ongoing. all day on this. Yeah, I hope this was just a taste and Look, I just want to encourage everyone who's listening, they can reach out and and we will have a conversation with you. And, you know, we have just a really passionate staff and I get no greater joy than sitting down with people and understanding their specific route to this issue and where they think they can help and contribute. So, you know, if you have any questions about any of this, just reach out to us and we're happy to go as deep as you want. That's what we love to do.
1: I love it. Well, David, I truly appreciate the time you spent with me today. I have to say going into this show, I was already a huge fan of your work and support your purpose-filled mission wholeheartedly. Now that I've had the opportunity to get to know you on a personal level a little bit, I can say with confidence that you've solidified that sentiment. Thank you for the work that you and the team at Farmer's Footprint are doing. It's making a huge difference. And as we just learned, the world needs it. So thank you so much, David.
0: Thank you, Marco. Very grateful for this. Appreciate it.
1: The work that David Leon, Dr. Zach Bush, and the entire team at Farmer's Footprint is doing is beyond inspirational. They are a catalyst for change. Change that is so desperately needed in the world we currently live. When I watched the film, listened to Dr. Zach Bush speak, and then spoke with David, I was moved deeply. It forced me to look back to my youth. A time when I didn't worry about the food I ate because my father grew the majority of our food. We grew everything. Corn, berries, peppers... Onions, squash, beans, watermelon, you name it. We had a patch of it growing. We would even create our own soil by using the entire harvest. What wasn't eaten was put back into the earth, which then helped the next crop. It was so simple and a skill that I'm forever grateful for having learned. That was the 80s, and I realized times were different then. But they don't have to be. Growing food is essential to life. If we can't grow our own food, We need only seek out fresh produce from our local farmers. As you just heard, they want to help. They want to be the change that helps humanity. I could go on and on about this topic, but I will leave you with this. Ask yourself this simple question. Is the food I am consuming on a daily basis serving me, or is it adversely affecting my health? If you answer the latter, do something to change that. It doesn't have to be all in or nothing, but do something. Create the first ripple, and the rest will follow. Thank you for listening. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed meeting David Leon and getting to know about his organization, Farmer's Footprint. Be sure to check my show notes for links and be sure to check out his website to see how you can get involved. Until next time, peace, love, and plants.